Welcome and thank you for joining us. Here at Calvary Chapel Eldoret, we believe in impacting and changing people's lives through the Bible, which is the only inspired and infallible Word of God. For more information, be sure to check out our website at ccelderet.org. That is ccelderet.org. And here is today's word. Turn with me to 1 Timothy 6. If you weren't here last week, we did a study and really just a very brief scratching of the surface study in the Word of Faith movement where we were looking at this movement that is so prevalent around the world, but especially in Africa, where people like Creflo Dollar and uh, Kenneth Hagen, Kenneth Copeland, Finnis Quimby, Essex Kenyon, Kenyon, Kenneth, Ken, it's, it's a lot of those guys. If you're named Ken, just change your name right now. I'm kidding. The um, Joyce Meyer, it, it, you, you, you know, I, get a, I got a lot of questions this week. It's like, do all the people in the movement, is it, you know, are they at the same level? And the, the answer is no. There's varying degrees of um, people can actually be in the Word of Faith movement and still believe Jesus is God, but it's not the proponents of the Word of Faith movement. The point. For example, Joyce Meyer doesn't believe Jesus was God when he was born. You can find video footage of this. And so we wanted to, I wanted to show you a few of their like fundamental beliefs, namely what they believe about faith. Um, they believe faith is eternal, not Yahweh, not the God of the Bible. They believe this, this power force that the Bible refers to as faith. Um, is responsible for creating God. So we talked all about that. So we talked about what faith was. We touched on, because of their belief in faith, um, the uh, doctrine of positive confession. We talked about also um, the, the little God's doctrine. Um, and you guys saw the video footage of Creflo Dollar. You know what's interesting about that video? So that video that we shared of Creflo Dollar last Sunday saying and having his congregation yell out that they're all gods, which is so scary, blasphemous, treacherous. Very interesting. A church to my left and your right, just down the street here, posted the same exact video on their website and Facebook, except they weren't posting as if, as if it's bad. They were posting the video proclaiming their own deity as a little God. So ironically, the church right down the street, I mean, I could take a couple rocks and, and you know, um, that's how close this church is if I threw them, which maybe they knew, do need us to throw some rocks at their church. I don't know if you're tired with me or against me here. <laughs> um, that's ironic to me because that's a very old video that they're posting that same right here in Eldoret. 
So we talked about the little God's doctrine. Then we talked about briefly what they believe concerning Jesus. Jesus is a created being. He was not God when he was born, but rather he became a God as he lived this life where he harnessed faith more than anybody who's ever lived, which made him kind of qualified to atone for sins in hell, but not on the cross. All these things concerning Jesus. You remember that quote that we learned from Mr. Dollar saying, Jesus was not God. This is a quote. Jesus was not God because the Bible said God God neither sleeps nor slumbers, and Jesus fell asleep on the boat, end quote. Don't you find it ironic that he told his whole congregation their gods while telling them that Jesus is not God? And that's what these false cult religions do. They bring, they abase Jesus, they bring him down, and they exalt man and bring man up to where Jesus and mankind are on the same level. So after all that, we talked about what is so surface, very surface. It's like you guys see the stage right now that I'm standing on. You see that I'm standing on wood, but what you can't see is what's underneath this stage. There is a lot, there's scaffolding, we drag it out, there's bed frames for when visitors come, there's like 10 beds under here. You know there's a rat under there right now eating something. We can't see, and so you can see this nice pretty stage, but what you can't see is what's underneath it. In the same way, these people present themselves, and unless you're biblically knowledgeable, Unless you're a lover of Christ in a deep, knowledgeable way, you're not going to see the dangers that lurk underneath these people's ministries. They capture you with their fanciness, and then they destroy you with the lies that are hidden underneath their ministries. Very dangerous ministries. And one of the surface parts is what we're gonna discuss today um, in relation to money, what these people are so fix on, fixated on um, is money. That is now what is referred to, and I, I'm actually a little shocked that a lot of people don't know this term, even here in Kenya, the prosperity gospel. Um, so that is not a fundamental doctrine, okay? But nevertheless, it is a surface doctrine, but it is that doctrine that, that comes from believing we're little gods. And because we're little gods, and that doctrine of positive confession, that we actually have power to create our very own realities. This is what they say. We can create our own realities through positive confession. We can use faith in a powerful way to create that reality because we're gods. And they they always preach the reality that we need to create for ourselves is wealth, lots of money, and health. Never be sick. So we need, through positive confession, in claiming our own power of deity through faith to Get money. And we read this 
last week, but I want to read a few things to have a springboard to which we need to understand what kind of outlook, what kind of viewpoint we need to have on our money. It says there, let me reread what I read last week, if anyone teaches otherwise, something else than what's been teaching here in 1 Timothy 6, and does not consent to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ and to the doctrine which accords with godliness, he is proud, knowing nothing but is obsessed with disputes and arguments over words. from which come envy, strife, reveling, evil suspicions, useless wranglings. I love this word wranglings because when people are fighting over um, these lies, they're just, it's like choking somebody out, squeezing their necks. And that's what following after false doctrine does. That's, after, that's what believing in lies does. It literally chokes the life, the spiritual life, out of us. And then it says, it, of men of corrupt minds and destitute of truth, who suppose that godliness is gain from such withdraw yourselves? These people, who say the more godly, the more godlike, the more close you are to God, and in the Word of Faith movement's case, the more you claim your own deity as a little God, then the more you will gain money. And it's gonna talk about money right here. The subject is material gain. You know, if I, I didn't do my homework actually, but if we were to count, I used to know, how many times the Bible mentions money? It's, it's, it's well over a thousand. It's a few thousand times. It's a serious subject. Why is it such a serious subject? Because we are so seriously attached to it. So what, what Paul is telling Timothy, who's this young pastor, stay away from people who say the more godlike you are, the more godly you are, the more you will gain material wealth. Stay away from those people. Not, not, he's not just saying it's a lie. It is a lie. He's actually saying not only is it false doctrine, as he says earlier on, not only is it a lie, but you shouldn't even be around these people's ministries or these people themselves. Why would he say that? Why not just believe it's a lie? Why not just believe it's false doctrine? Because of the temptation that these people bring to us. To us. Especially especially, I need to pronunciate right, especially because of how we are tempted by money, by material gain, and especially Timothy, who's a pastor, who needs to preach to people, and he has the tendency as a pastor, preacher, to convince his people, to, to, to manipulate his people into giving 
money so that he can gain personal wealth. And by the way, these churches, which are the predominant churches of Eldoret and Kenya, that are the Word of Faith Prosperity Gospel churches, it's a pyramid. It's a pyramid scheme. You guys ever heard of a Ponzi scheme or a pyramid scheme in business? Well, the idea is the person on top convinces everybody else to give money to the top. And the only person who's getting rich is the person on top or the few people on top. And so it's a coercion, it's a manipulation. It's the same thing with churches where these pastors are constantly talking and, and, and constantly convincing their people through lies to get money out of their pockets to give. And in most cases in Kenya, if you want to know the truth, they don't even have bank accounts that are in church names. The bank accounts are in the pastor's name. Which right there, I would recommend nobody attends a church where a bank account is where the pastor is the sole beneficiary. He is. It is in his name. It's dangerous. I I wouldn't do it. Me personally. It's not good. And so we need to understand what is our proper response to money because we have to talk about it because the Bible talks about it. Well, we can get a foundation right away on how we are to respond to money. Then we're going to go to a few scriptures. Guys, we could do a 15-week study just discussing how we are to be generous and how to have our viewpoints and how we're to look at money. We're not going to do it. I'm going to just do this Sunday, maybe next, but I doubt it. It's just this Sunday. But we from 1 Timothy 6 can get a foundation right away of how we're to look to money. It says stay away from the lies and also the very people who are telling the lies of saying the more godlike you are, that's what godliness means, by the way, godlike. And the little God's doctrine actually says we are gods, so you should have money. The more godlike you are, the more you gain. Stay away from those people And then he gives us the foundation of how we are to view life, material gain. Now, godliness with contentment is of great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and certainly we can carry nothing out. And having food and clothing, with these we shall be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare, and to many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men into destruction and perdition. You know what's interesting is the idea here is the best way to live is to live generously. The worst way to live with finances, we're talking about money, is to live selfishly. It's actually saying those people who desire money above generosity those people who desire money above God are going to destroy themselves. It's destructive to love money more than God. It's destructive to love money more than people. It is more blessed to give than to receive. So here, right off the bat, we get... 
the, one of the foundations of how we're to view material gain, money, and that is to be content with what we have today. When you are content with what you have today, you can focus on other things. And specifically in regards to finance, you can focus on being generous and what is your responsibility before God. What is our responsibility before God when it comes to money? You see, these prosperity gospel people, they go on talking about if you give, you'll gain. What a selfish thing. Now, there is a little bit of truth to this, and we're going to discuss that in a little bit. Talk. When we give, there is some sort of blessing that God has for us. But if, and this is the catch-22, if we give to get back, we're giving out of an impure, selfish greedy heart and God's not going to bless that when we give because of grace giving we're going to call it love giving you can still give back we don't have a number on that but that's not the reason you gave so you get blessed by God and they are trying to convince their congregations give so you can get give so that you can get and the motive of the heart in these people giving is so that they can get back, so they can have more. So the very motive in giving is the very gain that 1 Timothy 6 is speaking out against. I'm going to give to gain. My giving is godly, so I must gain. Stay away from those people. Now, notice the Bible's not saying that there's no gain to godliness. It's not saying there's no gain to giving. It's saying stay away from the people who are preaching that you'll gain from godliness, gain from giving. That is the dangerous part of it all. And so they go on. One of their favorite passages is Malachi 3.10. The Bible says, let me go to verse 8, Malachi. They love this passage of Scripture. We need to understand what it means. Will a man rob God? You have robbed me, God says. But you say, in what way have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings. You are cursed with a curse, for you have robbed me, even the whole nation. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. And try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts. And if I will not open for you the windows of heaven, pour out for you such blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. And so these guys, guys, there are churches in this very town who have this verse plastered on the side of their sanctuary. And, the, and so every Sunday, even if the subject is not money, they come in and they're like, we better give or we're going to be cursed. So there is a lot here that we need to talk about. In the Old Testament, 
There is a theocracy that is established by God, and in this theocracy, a theocracy means theo-godocracy, this government, the, God rules the nation. There's no king, there's no president, and the government themselves are actually the religious leaders, the very priest, the headquarters, the uh, offices of the government are the tabernacle um, because there was the tabernacle before there actually was a king. Um, and so, so there's a theocracy. And in God establishing a nation, he established the very means by which this nation would provide for itself and how this Levitical government, these priests, would manage the money that God is commanding this nation to give. So that's where we get the word tithe. And we're going to talk about what is our responsibility as members of a local church financially towards the end in a very simply practical way. But we get this all the time. Even when I was working for Fish FM, we would get phone calls and still, it's this very popular thing. Do I tithe off of the gross or do I tithe off of the net? Already, if you have to ask that question, you're generally not on the right track because you're, you're trying to create a law for yourself in which you can give it as little as possible. Now, I think some people are genuine and like, what does God require of me? We're going to talk about that. But the word tithe itself... It means a tenth, a tenth. And in this case, in this government, in this nation, the tithe is not necessarily, I want to I emphasize because, guys, I, I have some issues with people saying that we are not obligated to tithe today. And I'll talk about that. But we are not necessarily, and technically, there is no command in the New Testament to give a tenth of our income to God through the local body of Christ that we are faithfully attending. What is the tithe? Well, God commanded the nation of Israel to tithe to this government, which was at the tabernacle where the Israelites worshipped, and then these Levites would facilitate the money coming into this government, into this place of worship. And it means a tenth. By the way, there was not one tithe in the nation of Israel. There were three tithes in the nation of Israel. And so if we wanted to actually obey Old Testament law, which we don't have to, because that was for the nation of Israel, then we would be tithing several times. In fact, three times. In Deuteronomy 14.29, we are to tithe for the sake of the poor. Poor people. So that this nation, so that these religious leaders, these Levites, these priests, could help the poor. God is very concerned with the poor. It's also mentioned in Numbers 18.21 and Numbers 18.26. Secondly, and there's another tithe, and this was for the tithing 
to the Levites. This is how the priest would receive their living. They would facilitate worship as ordained by God in the Old Testament concerning the tabernacle and the temple. And this tithe would go to them personally. 2 Chronicles 31, 4-5. The third tithe is for the temple and the feast. This is so that worship could be facilitated. So, the first one is to distribute to the poor, not in a socialistic way, um, where all of their money, 60-70%, as we're finding today, is going, but 10% is allocated to help people of the nation. And that would be facilitated through the priest. Boy, wouldn't that be nice if only 10% of our money went to the government? In Kenya, it's over 50% if you're giving all of your taxes. It's criminal. It's tyrannical. So, the first part is to, 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 to distribute across the nation. That's about it. The second part is for the salary of the priest. The third is for the facilitating of worship in the temple. So, when you come to Tithe, understand this. Tithing was taxing. Tithing was the tax of the priest and God himself for the nation of Israel. It was not a free will offering which is separate from the taxes. So when you think of tithe in terms of Biblical tithe, a biblical tithe was for the taxing so that the religious leaders could have a salary, so that worship could be facilitated, and so that the poor could be helped in the nation of Israel. It was a tax. The offering was separate. The taxes for the nation of Israel, when you combine these three tithes, which it was 10% of their income and produce and all these different things. Um, the, uh, uh, the, the tax at the different times of the year would equal about 23, maybe around 20, 23%. If you want to get real technical, some have estimated about 237 or 8% of a Jewish person's or a Hebrew person's income went to the temple, about 23% of their money. That's not including offerings. So if you had a very good religious Jew who was uh, really worship God according to the law, when you would include their offerings, because the tax and offering, the tithe and offering, it would probably be about 35% of their income, but understand anything after 23% was a free will offering for the Lord, and that was discretionary income that the Levites would, um, it, would it would be discretionary. They would give to what they felt needed it. 
That's how it works. That's how the tithes. So when God in Malachi 3 is talking about tithes and offerings, they are not obeying God in the taxes that he ordained in their nation. They're not obeying God. They have absconded from their duties as not only a chosen person because they're in the nation of Israel, a chosen person as a Hebrew by God, his chosen people, his people, not only are they absconding those duties, they are actually not paying their taxes. They're breaking the law, not only of God, but of the nation. And so when God says in Malachi, you are robbing me of both the taxes and your free will giving, you're not even giving out of love to God. You are essentially robbing God. He's telling the nation of Israel, because of this, your land will be cursed. Your families will be cursed. So, do we tithe? Well, some argue, this is a huge debate, by the way. It shouldn't be, it shouldn't be at all. But some argue that the principle of tithe was before the law of Moses himself. Because Abraham gave a 10% of his income to Melchizedek, who either was a pre-incarnate Jesus Christ or was a representative of Jesus Christ himself. And Abraham gave 10% of his income. So we should still tithe in the New Testament, though we're not commanded because the principle is all throughout Scripture. Now, I will say that I think that is a good argument, but I must say that still we are not commanded to give 10% of our income to God through our local ministries. Now, I hope you didn't get excited when I said that. You're like, yes, deliverance. Because there, are, there is so much here. Now, I want to say, before I move on, we are not cursed if we do, by God, if we don't do this Old Testament principle of taxing, of giving taxes and giving free will offerings, we're not cursed by God, but you may be in trouble with the government if you refuse to pay your taxes. And I also will say, and, and Galatians chapter two says we're not cursed. Christians can't be cursed. So when you're not tithing and giving your free will offerings, God's not going to come down and curse you. Jesus bore the curse of his children on Calvary. But the principles that God has foundationally do carry over to the New Testament except for the curse in Malachi chapter 3.10, let me explain. And this is where I think a lot of people go wrong who are like, oh, you don't have to give to the... It's Malachi 3.10 is completely just for the nation of Israel. It has nothing to do with us. It's not true. In its practical application, Malachi chapter 3, it 
it doesn't have anything to do with us, and it's true that it has everything to do with the nation of Israel. But in its spiritual principles, it does have something to do with us. Because the reason for the taxes and governments is to help the poor, and even in a corrupt government, we're still commanded in the New Testament to pay our taxes. When Jesus was asked, render, uh, do we pay taxes to Caesar? He says, let me see a coin. Render unto Caesar's what is Caesar's. Render unto God's what is God's. The idea is um, that a coin bore the image of Caesar. Humanity bears the image of God. So we belong 100% to God. So the principle of giving to the government carries to the New Testament. According to Malachi, we do, we do have to pay taxes. We are disobeying God when we don't pay our taxes. So you who have businesses where you're not paying your taxes, you're disobeying God. Now, also, these spiritual principles for the tithe apply as well. They had to give a tithe. They had to give money to support religious services, worship services. In Deuteronomy 12, we may not be commanded to give 10% in a sense, but we are commanded to have a free will offering so that the religious services of our church continue. The worship services. It talks about in Deuteronomy 12, it was for the temple and the feast. So all of these different religious ceremonies in the tabernacle and in the temple, they have to have money to facilitate these worship services. That principle carries on into the New Testament as well. How can we have a church if people aren't giving? Also, the principle carries over. They had to give. It was a tax, yes, that tithe, but they had to give so that the religious leaders were supported in the religious services they were rendering to the people. That carries to the New Testament as well. Paul even discusses in 1 Corinthians, in fact, I'm going to read it. I'm going to read it if I can find it, which I think I can find it. It's, it, Paul's talking, let me just read 1 Corinthians 9 a little bit here. Paul says, am I not a, an apostle? Am I not free? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are you not my work in the Lord? Am I not an apostle to others? Yet doubtless I am to you, for you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. Paul is basically saying, I started 1 Corinthians church, or Corinthian church. I planted it. My defense to those who examine me is this. Do I have no right to eat and drink? Do I have no right to take along a believing wife as do also other apostles, the brothers of our Lord and Cephas? Or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working? What Paul's saying, to refrain from bivocational work. 
That is to say, not only am I working in the church, but I'm also having to work outside of the church to provide an income for myself. He, he goes on and says, who plants a vineyard and does not eat of its fruit? Who tends a flock and does not drink of the milk of the flock? Do I say these things as mere man, or, or does the law say them also? For it is written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain. Is it oxen God is concerned about, or does he say it altogether for our sakes? No doubt for our sakes. It is written, he who plows should plow in hope, and he who threshes in hope should be partakers of the hope. For we have sown spiritual things for you. Is it a great thing if we reap material things? So a couple things, guys. And what are we doing this Sunday? We're understanding our responsibilities financially. Our outlook on money. What should be our viewpoints? Listen, we know that these spiritual principles, maybe not this government that God established, these three tithes we have to do, or do we even tithe, which we'll talk about at the end. But the principle carries over many different principles. And listen here. He even mentions it here. He says... Does it not say in the law of Moses that you shall not muzzle an ox that treads out for the corn? Did God say that because he cares for the oxen more than us? No, he said it for our sakes. So what Paul is doing is transferring a spiritual principle from the Old Testament to the New, saying that religious leaders should receive for the religious spiritual work material gain. I mean, who goes out, Paul says, to a farm and plows without hope? When you're plowing, when you're digging especially, man, you guys ever driven down to Nairobi, you see all those people out in the fields digging with the, 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 the djembe? That is hard work. Can you imagine thinking they will never receive any of the fruit or any of the produce of their hard work? Maybe some of you, have any of you ever worked really hard and not been paid by your employer? Isn't that terrible? It's a very big problem in Kenya. You work, you work sometimes for a couple months, you're owed 20, 30, 40,000 shillings, 50,000 shillings, and they give you 3,000? Does it make you angry? Selfishness will corrupt your mind concerning your money. And there'll be some people even in these three service days be like, gosh, Lee, we don't got a tithe. <laughs> this is great news. This principle of carrying over as applied in Malachi concerning what God is talking about to the nation of Israel, though we're not cursed, these three principles we give so we can help the poor, people who are less fortunate than us. That's a spiritual principle carried over. We give so that religious leaders, we give to our local churches so that they can receive from all of their work. That carries over to the New Testament, as I just read. And we give to our local ministries, to our local church, so that worship itself 
can, can, can be for, so guys, you don't want outside giving for our tissue paper in our bathrooms. You should pay for it. So that worship, do you enjoy the worship? Do you enjoy the times we have shared and seen what God has done in this church? That spiritual principle carries over. There's another spiritual principle that carries over, and we got to be careful with this because this is where the prosperity gospel movement, the word of faith movement, does so much damage. They say, see, if we don't give, we're cursed, but if we do give, we're going to have so much food that we're going to have to build houses for our food. We're going to have so much abundance. It's dangerous. But there is a principle that carries over, and this is what I was talking about at the beginning. It talks about, well, anyways, Paul is mentioning to the Corinthians, he says, he who sows sparingly will reap sparingly, He who sows bountifully will reap bountifully. And by the way, when Paul says this to the Corinthians, he's talking about money or material produce, people who uh, would give. When you sow many seeds, financial seeds, I hate to even say the word because the prosperity gospel, people talk about it so much. There is a return. The danger is They talk about it as pure money, and then they start setting these, and this is where it gets so ugly and so nasty when they put numbers on it. If you give, you'll get tenfold. If you give, you'll get 20-fold. If you give, you'll get 50-fold. Or more Cirillo at uh, one of the local churches here some years ago said you'll get 100-fold if you give 100,000 shillings. When they start doing that, it is so bad it is lies but we we listen i don't want us just because of how dangerous their lies are not to understand the biblical principles being taught when you sow generosity when you sow much financially and giving you, you can reap bountifully. And it's not just money. Yes, it could be that God blesses you with more money. It, God blesses you with more friends. He blesses you with people who, who, who've been touched by your generosity. There's all kinds of blessings that come with it. But if you sow sparingly, you reap sparingly. So this spiritual principles that I've mentioned, helping the poor, giving to our local church so that worship services can be facilitated, giving to our local church so that religious leaders can be supported, giving to our local uh, communities uh, generously. It's so important. But understand that we are part of a new covenant when it comes to our finances. If you've been in our church for a while, you have probably heard me say many, many times, we are to give a glorifying percentage of our income 
to God through our local church. Anybody ever heard me say that? Do you know why I say that? Because to me, it is the most scholarly way that I can communicate the seriousness and commands and New Testament principles of our money in relation to God and our local church. If I were to say to give a tithe, I can't just say that. Many of you have the conviction of tithe, and you should. That's why we have tithe and offering there. But I can't say biblically in the new government you are commanded to tithe because I don't have the authority to do it. But I do have the authority to say in this new covenant to give a glorifying percentage of your income to God through the local church. Why? Glorifying percentage because we are part of a new covenant that is superior to the law of Moses. If the law of Moses was all of these ties and then on top of the ties a free will offering, then why um, is the new covenant? Because we have been filled with the Holy Spirit. We no longer are, we are not part of the nation of Israel. We don't got to do this but it becomes something else in our giving, not through command or compulsory, but through love, cheerfully, as it says. In 1 Corinthians, excuse me, 2 Corinthians 9, but I say, he who sows sparingly shall also reap sparingly. He who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So let each one give as he purposes is in a heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver, and God is able to make all grace abound towards you, that you always have all sufficiency in all things and may have an abundance for every good work. This is the New Testament principle of giving. See, We are not commanded to pay taxes to our local churches. We're commanded to pay taxes to our government. The free will offering goes to our church because of the New Testament principles carried over that ministers need um, money to live their lives and for their families and also ministers need money to facilitate worship at their local churches so it has to come to the local church first the first fruits so to give a glorifying percentage of our income to our local to God through our local church uh, I, guys doing an exposition on that statement would take another 50 minutes I don't have time But that is the principle. And here, he's saying, listen, if you want to give little, that's fine. It's up to you. You purpose in your own heart what you will give. Purpose in your own heart what you will give. But no, if you give little, you will receive little. If you give sparingly, you will receive sparingly. But... Also, purpose in your heart what you want to give. Here's the principle. Purpose in your heart what you want to give. But if you give bountifully, if you give in faith, because God is able to make you abound, even, I know it hurts to give. One guy said, if it doesn't hurt you to give, then you're not giving a glorifying percentage to God. 
I believe that. I personally believe that. I mean, guys, if you make 100 shillings and you give 1%, I mean, this is it's one shilling. That doesn't hurt you. And let, let's be honest. I mean, 10, 10%, that should be a starting point because that was the law of Moses. And now Jesus Christ has made himself beautiful in our hearts. They went to a temple to worship. Thousands of people, millions of people went to a temple to give what God had commanded. Now we are free to give what we want, but you have thousands and millions of temple going to a building to worship because God has made himself beautiful by the Holy Spirit in us. Do you get the point? The point is this. We have seen the beauty of Christ way more than the silver and gold in the temple because he's in us. So we should have a desire to be more generous than they ever were in the Old Testament. But if you want a purpose in your heart to give 1% and you feel like that is loving the Lord, go ahead. You're wrong, but go ahead. You're not going to hear our church say you're commanded by God to tithe. It's a very good idea. This is the principle that you give. That you give what you've purposed in your heart because you love God. And you apply all these spiritual principles. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 16, and we're going to get a few principles uh, of giving as well here. He says, now concerning the collection for the saints, as I have given you orders to the church of Galatia, so you must do also on the first day of the week. Why do you think we've, we've for 2,000 years, been giving on Sunday morning when we gather together as part of our worship service? Let me tell you why. Because they have been doing it since the beginning of the church. Now, I know they were giving for the collection of Jerusalem, but he is saying we are to collect on the first day of the week. Guys, prepare yourselves to give on Sunday morning or at least, you know, um, prepare yourself to give to this church, Paul is saying. So that's why we've been doing it for these 2,000 years. He says, on the first day of the week, lay something aside, storing up as he may prosper, that there be no collections when I come. And when I come, whoever you approve by your letters, I will send to bear your gift to Jerusalem. But if it is fitting that I go also, they will give to me. They will give with me. Some principles here. We are to give in preparation. First of all, preparation. We are to prepare to purpose, as 2 Corinthians 9 says, to give. So it's not like, oh, they're, dang it, they're passing around the offering plate. Do I got a, what do I got? I got a 20. I got a 20. You didn't prepare. You made 20,000 shillings this week. You didn't prepare. You're giving 20, Bob. You have not prepared. So the idea of preparation and purposing is, you have a plan, you have purposed in your heart, and you are prepared to give what you've purposed on what you make. 
If you think, if, you, if your salary is 20,000 shillings a month, and you think 1% of that, whatever that is, I don't even know what 1% is. Is that 20 shillings? I'm, I'm sorry, I'm not a mathematician here. If you think that is a glorifying percentage of your income, you have a small view of God, little love. So giving is purposeful. Also, giving is proportional. If Guys, if you are only making 20000 and you're giving 5000 to your local church, you probably should rethink that. If you're doing it by faith, I don't want to stop your faith. But listen, God doesn't require that of you. Okay? God's not sitting there like, it's like these pastors just driving, just driving you. It's like, hey, oh, you made 20,000, you can only give 200. Where's your faith? Listen, that's not God. God's not putting that kind of pressure on you. God's not trying to manipulate you. I think, I think a tithe is a good principle. You could give 200 shillings to the Lord. You could. But listen, if you're giving 5,000, you probably need to keep more for your family. It's just too much, if you're asking my personal opinion. So you give proportionally. But listen, if you're making a million shillings a month and only giving 20,000, you are not doing proportional giving. <laughs> you may have been giving more than everybody else in terms of that week, giving 20,000 shillings of your income, but you made a million. You made a million shillings? You gave 20,000? You need to go help some poor people. You need, to, you need to bless God through your local church. You need to find some people to buy some food for. We are to be generous proportionately. Preparedly, purposefully, we need to do it cheerfully. Cheerfully. So guys, when we talk about the Old Testament, New Testament, the Old Testament was a command to tithe and to give free will. Guys, at one point, the priest, do you remember in the Old Testament where the priests were like, hey, we need, we need free will offerings to come. Bring your offerings. They had so much stuff in the temple, they had to tell people to stop giving. Okay, we have enough. There's too much. Take your stuff back home. We have what we need and more. There was a discretionary fund. What I'm asking you to do this morning is first have a biblical look in light of the last two weeks on what the Bible requires of your finances. Don't love your money. You'll fall into dangers. You'll be selfish. It'll be, it'll be bad for you. You'll hurt yourself. You'll hurt your family. What is our outlook on money? Let me tell you something. God doesn't we don't owe God 10% of our money. We owe God 100% of our money. All of our money 
belongs to him. It's not a question of how much of your money do you give God. It's a question of how much of God's money do you keep. And you have to understand, you must bless your families. He who does not provide for his own is worse than an unbeliever. You must bless your children. You must bless your church. You must bless your society. It's all God's money. And you need to have a heart of generosity, cheerfully giving. Yes, are we command, Are we supposed to give to our local churches? You're absolutely right, we are. That principle is there. Will you be cursed if you don't? No. Will you be blessed if you don't? No. Why is money talked about so much in the Bible? Because God knows how much we desire it. God knows how much we love it. That's why. It is vital that you understand, and, and, and I know I'm running out of time here, but listen, guys, we are part of a kingdom that needs to grow. We're part of a kingdom that needs to grow. Our church is open from Tuesday to Sunday all day long. Do you know what we deal with? Can you imagine? We have people coming in every week talking about how they were raped. People coming in every week talking about how they haven't eaten in days. Children who are homeless who are always around our property. All these different things going on. We need to share the gospel. We need to help the poor. And we do that through your giving. You need to have a kingdom mindset. A kingdom mindset. Yes, bless your family. Bless yourself. Get food. But also, bless the ministry. Kingdom mindset is the principle. We need to be cheerful giving because there is a job we have to do together. You know, we want to start a children's home. We want to start a school. We want to start a hospital. We want to start a Bible college. We want to help all these women who are hurting throughout our society. Do you believe in those things? We have to work together. Is it Harambe? Am I saying that right? But the only way you can do that is not if I... We don't talk about money, by the way, a lot here. The only way I can do, you can, we can do that if you love God. Loving Him is the key. So we don't want to be over here with this prosperity gospel lies, but we also don't want to be over here because we're not prosperity gospel. We never talk about money, and we don't talk about our biblical response to it. So I would ask our church, I would ask each and every one of you, do you tithe on the gross or the net? Listen, that's between you and the Lord. But I can tell you this, give a glorifying percentage of your income to God through your local church and be generous to your society because that, because God deserves it, because God is worthy.
Search your heart, please, church. If we just had every member of our congregation giving 200 shillings or 100 shillings uh, uh, a week, we would see offerings like we've never seen in this church. But we don't. We don't. Search your heart, please. Search your heart. Ask what the Lord would have you do. Don't be manipulated by another pastor. I mean, ask the Lord what you would have to do. Pray. Say, Lord, maybe I need to change my viewpoints on this. Maybe I need to search my heart. Maybe I have been selfish. Maybe I have been worried about money too much. I understand what this nation's going through and has gone through for, 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 for decades. But search your heart. Grow in your love towards Christ concerning your finances. It's a good indicator of where your heart is. Lord, thank you so much for the privilege of giving, understanding principles. I pray that you would help us have a heart of generosity, love, and care when it comes to our finances. That we wouldn't be manipulated by all the lies, but also we wouldn't be negligent in our responsibilities. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's teaching. We hope that you've been inspired and blessed. For more teachings and other resources, visit our website at ccelderet.org or call us at 0718-012-496. That is 0718 Zero one two four nine six. See you next time.